Hey everyone, Brock here. Unfortunately, I haven't had much time to create some new videos, so I wanted to share with you one of the live classes that we did in which we introduced the kidneys, we had a look at the nephron, the functional unit of the kidneys, and sort of explored why it is they are so important in keeping us alive, happy, and healthy. Enjoy. So, what are we doing uh, today, guys? We're moving on now to looking at the uh, urinary system. So, we're going to be looking at the kidneys. Now, uh, keeping in mind here too, guys, with the kidneys is that they form almost like sort of a holy trinity with the heart and the lungs in terms of their overall function. So we're going to be exploring um, a lot of the, the the structure and function of the urinary renal system, as well as sort of touching briefly in how uh, the kidneys can sort of work with other um, organ systems, ones that we've already learned. So like the, um, the heart and the lungs. Uh, we'll be looking at the internal and external um, anatomy of the kidneys, all the bits and bobs, and make sure we know what's happening there. Um, we're going to be looking at the particular regions of the uh, nephron. That's going to be super important. That's going to be a very large focus of what we'll, uh, we will be doing today. Uh, we'll also be touching on uh, and looking at glomerular filtration, looking at how it's, uh, how it's controlled. Um, looking at tubular reabsorption and secretion, non-filtration, all that sort of good stuff. And then we're going to finish up uh, looking at sort of what the final uh, waste product is. That is urine. Now, um, two things here that we aren't going to talk about all that much. Um, that is uh, uh, the regulation of urine concentration and volume and the neural pathway related to mituation. The neural pathway related to mituation, I'm not going to focus on too much because I really want to place a greater emphasis on the nephron and the process of reabsorption and filtration there. Um, and the regulation of urine concentration and volume, I really want to um, tie that in with what we're doing next week, which is looking at the kidney's ability to control blood pressure and blood volume because they're both very, very closely linked. So the regulation of urine concentration and volume will be a topic of discussion uh, for next week. All right, let me get my laser pointer up. Here we go. So as we as we kick off looking at the urinary system. Oh, am I not record? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not recording. Oh, how silly. Thank you, Brintha. <laughs> there we go. So looking at the, um, the urinary system, guys, just kicking it off in terms of just a more holistic overview here, we have two kidneys and we have two ureters. Now, it's important that we don't confuse ureter with urethra. So each kidney is connected to a ureter. Both ureters are connected to the bladder and the bladder is connected to the urethra. So the like urine will move from the bladder through the urethra to the exterior. And what we see here with the kidneys, its primary purpose here is essentially to be like a filter. So if you guys have seen like a pool filter, that's pretty much what your, your kidneys are doing. So it's going to filter through the blood. It's going to remove any excess substances or materials that the body uh, doesn't need like, you know, excess water or electrolytes and stuff like that. And anything that is, um, in excess as, or, um, any, anything that we don't need or want, 
um, will be sort of removed from the body as urine. Um, yeah, and it does this via sort of movement through the kidneys and ureter and then um, release from the body via the urethra. So here are just some, uh, like a couple of uh, functions here uh, with respect to the kidneys. Now, again, some of these I'm going to be spending a lot more time on than others. Um, so excretion of waste and foreign substances, I will be touching on this. Um, I'm not going to be looking at sort of specific um, removal of, uh, you know, certain medications or stuff like that. Because uh, I'm just going to start with the basics and then it'll be in your future studies uh, that or in like medications, for instance, that um, each like, sort of individual classes of drugs may be uh, gone through at a, at a greater detail there. Uh, we're also going to be looking at regulation of our blood ion composition. So, you know, we all already know the importance of some of these ions, like, you know, sodium and, and potassium and calcium. You know, we did this a lot when we were looking at the heart and looking at action potentials. So how do we control these levels in the body and make sure that, you know, we don't have too much or, or too little? Um, big one here is we're going to be looking at the regulation of our blood pH. Our kidneys are phenomenal at doing this. And, uh, look, I know week, week five was a bit of a doozy. Uh, you know, week five was very challenging. There was a lot of stuff that we did. Um, but it's during these next two weeks that we're going to really start feeling the benefit of that because we all have already know what pH is. We already know that if there are excess hydrogens, excess protons here, that means it's very acidic. We know what a buffer is, something that resists a change in pH. We've already done a lot of these things, which is really good. It's going to make it a little bit easier for us down the road, which is good. Um, so yeah, our kidneys are very, very, very good at buffering and controlling our blood pH. Um, our kidneys are also very good at controlling blood volume. Again, this is one big area where the heart and the kidney work together, and that is to control blood pressure and blood volume. And the lungs and the kidney work together for control of pH. Because again, if we're exhaling, we're removing that carbon dioxide, which is acidic. Um, regulation of blood pressure via secreting renin and looking at uh, angiotensin-aldosterone system. So the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, it's a uh, hormonal cascade to help control blood pressure and blood volume. Um, I'm not going to be talking about that this week. That will definitely be next week. Um, we've also got stimula uh, stimulation of um, erythrocyte formation. So we're going to release EPO um, to cause uh, red blood cell formation and activating vitamin D. So the big ones we're going to be talking about are uh, excretion, regulation of uh, blood ions. Um, we're going to look a little bit at buffering, not too much. Regulation of blood volume and blood pressure is going to be a massive focus next week. Um, and these uh, last two, erythrocyte formation and activation of vitamin D, we're going to touch on a little bit, but not too much. Um, so again, looking at the functions of uh, uh, functions of the kidney, just need to remember a wet bed. Um, so that's a good way to sort of um, quickly and easily remember all the functions. What? Sorry, something just, <laughs> something went clunk. Um, yeah, it, it, to looking at uh, the overall function of the kidneys here. Now, looking at our basic anatomy here, this is this is pretty straightforward. Um, so we can see we've got our, our kidneys here. Um, it looks like they're sort of wearing a little, a little fedora on top, my kidney. 
Um, these are the adrenal glands and these sit like just on top of the kidneys. And we can see here that we've got our renal artery and renal vein. So in our abdominal aorta, so we've gone over, you know, the aortic arch, the descending aorta down into the abdominal aorta. This is where it will branch off into this renal artery. Um, additionally, we have our renal vein that's going to leave the kidney and go into the inferior vena cava and go back to the right atria and sort of resume blood circulation. Now we can also see that we have two ureters. So this is how we are able to connect our kidneys to the bladder. Now, something else that you may notice just looking at this diagram here is that these kidneys aren't level. And that is because there is a big organ in the way just here that pushes the kidneys down a bit, and that is the liver. So this is why the right kidney is a little bit lower than the left, um, just because the, the liver is in the way here. Now, another thing too is where the kidneys are actually located. A lot of people think that sort of the kidneys sit like near your hips. Um, they're actually not, they're much higher. So if you feel like the very bottom of your rib cage, that's generally where your kidneys are. And the kidneys obviously range a little bit on uh, their mass, depending on, you know, the size of uh, you as a person. Um, but they're, they're not that big. They're not like gigantic. Um, you know, they're around sort of 120, 150 grams ish, yet they receive 25% of our cardiac output. So they receive a huge amount of blood flow. Now, I've got a question for you guys. What event would cause that number to absolutely plummet? What event could happen that would cause the amount of um, cardiac output that the kidneys would receive to drop dramatically? Perfect. Yeah, exercise. If you were running or sort of sympathetic nervous system stimulation. Absolutely. Yeah, um, because basically what will happen there, your body will go, sure, I need to filter my blood. That's pretty important. But... Um, you know, if Trish is wielding a big stick and she's chasing, threatening to swat me with it, I need to run for my life. I'm, I'm running like crazy, man. Uh, and at that point, filtering my blood is not my, my highest priority there. Excellent. Uh, okay. Everything here is pretty much what I've already said already. Just looking at, um, blood supply and just looking at why it is that the right kidney sits lower than the left. Now, the next thing I wanna talk about is just looking at the internal anatomy of the kidney. So we have our renal cortex. This is the outermost part of the kidney. And we have our renal medulla, the, the innermost part. And what we see here, this is a better diagram, um, is that within the renal medulla, so this part here, we have these sort of shaded uh, sections here. These are called our renal pyramids because well, they kind of look like a pyramid. And then in between our renal pyramids, we have our renal columns. So the renal columns are in between our renal pyramids here. Uh, and the last thing, uh, which I mentioned on this slide, but I'll jump over to the next one, is looking at our renal sinus. So connected to sort of um, each of our renal pyramids here, we have our... Um, uh, uh, we have our sort of minor calyx, and these all drain into sort of our major calyx going down into our renal pelvis. And uh, basically what is being drained into this renal pelvis here is, you know, uh, freshly formed urine. And that's being collected from these renal pyramids here um, and 
sort of combining and draining down into the ureter. So this is where the ureter is. Um, and this is how our um, uh, kidneys are connecting to the urinary bladder. Uh, what's the next thing I wanted to talk about? Ah, the next one here is the main sort of functional unit of the kidney, and that is the nephron. Uh, we are going to be talking about the nephron a whole heap in um, in today's class. And just keep in mind too, guys, this is absolutely not to scale. Um, on average, you will have sort of close to a million nephrons uh, hanging out uh, in, in, in the kidney. So, yeah, this is absolutely not to scale. Um, everything on this slide here, I'm actually going to talk about um, in, in other slides in a moment. Now, looking briefly at blood supply to the kidney. Now, you don't need to know all of these arteries. Don't worry. You don't need to know about, like, you know, the segmental and interlobal artery and blah, 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 blah. You only need to know the ones that are in this like dashed line down here. Um, but all this is sort of demonstrating, all this is showing is that as we have our uh, renal artery and as we sort of head down our segmented artery and sort of we are um, splitting smaller and smaller, um, we are essentially uh, distributing or sending sending blood to like um, all aspects of the kidney, especially the, um, the, the renal cortex here. Um, then what is going to happen is that obviously we're going to have this filtration occurring and um, uh, all, all of the stuff that we're sort of filtering, filtering is uh, going to go through our peritubular or vasorectal. Now that seems a bit weird that it seems like one or the other, but again, we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in a moment. So what we are essentially looking at here, guys, is our nephron. So we are looking here. So you can see this is where all of our blood vessels are eventually getting to. So this is our sort of cortical um, artery down here. So if we were to zoom in in sort of this area down here, this is what we're looking at here. Now, this is the more simple diagram. Uh, where's a good one? This one. This is a super good diagram of the nephron. Guys, I will test you on this. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. You will be tested on this. So it is incredibly important that we understand the nephron. So on that note, let's talk about it. Let's have a look. So again, we have our, um, our arteriole here. We have our, our, our cortical artery here. And we are then coming down into our um, afferent arteriole. Now, what we have here is this renal corpsule. And this is combined, uh, comprised rather of two main parts. We have our glomerulus or our glomerular capillaries. And we have uh, what is called the glomerular capsule. This is also called Bowman's capsule. Um, you can call it either one. It's completely up to you, just as long as you stay consistent. Uh, I personally always refer to it as a Bowman's capsule. So that's this part here. Now, what is happening here is that with our glomerular capillaries here, these are comprised of fenestrated capillaries. So remember, those are our capillaries here. They have all those fenestrations. So there's little um, pores, holes in them. 
to allow um, sort of larger substances to, to move out. And indeed, that's exactly what we see here. So we see our blood moving into our afferent arteriole, going through our glomerular capillaries, and things are then being separated or moved out based upon their size. So if it is small enough to move through, so these can be things like uh, water, obviously, um, ions like sodium and calcium and um, potassium and stuff like that. Uh, we can also have um, like amino acids, glucose, um, vitamins, um, sort of slightly larger molecules um, moving through uh, th- through the Bowman's capsule here. And anything that is not, uh, sorry, anything that is uh, that is too big will continue on out the efferent arteriole and um, continue on with circulation. Now, from there, we have a squiggle. We then go through this little loop-de-loop. We hit another squiggle, and then we've got this big giant drop before we plummet into the edge of existence. So let's, let's talk about that. What's happening here? Well, these small substances that we, um, that passed through those fenestrated capillaries of the glomerulus is going to move through the first squiggle. And this is called the PCT, the proximal convoluted tubules. And this is a primary area of, uh, reabsorption. This is where we start rapidly reabsorbing all of, um, a lot of those smaller molecules that, uh, were leaked out. From there, we have what is called the nephron loop. Now, this is uh, has goes by two names as well. <laughs> it can either be called the nephron loop, or it can be called the loop of Henley. So you can have like the descending loop of Henley and the ascending loop, uh, loop of Henley. Um, I personally call it loop of Henley, uh, but if you want to call it nephron loop, that's a-okay. Just as long as again you stay consistent. So. We're going to move down our Looper Henley, and it's during this descending limb part that we are going to be rapidly reabsorbing water. So we're reabsorbing heaps and heaps of water. And then as we move up our ascending limb, what we are doing here is that we are reabsorbing salts. So like our sodiums, our chlorines, our potassiums, all of that are being reabsorbed in the ascending limb of the loop of Henley. Then we're going to hit our distal convoluted tubule. So this is where we continue to reabsorb water or sodium, um, as well as we get sort of other waste products can be placed into the um, DCT to sort of go into the urine. Um, Then uh, uh, what we do is anything that hasn't been absorbed yet will then move down into the collecting duct. Now within the collecting duct, this is again, the last opportunity, the last chance to reabsorb anything or um, anything that is waste that we wish to remove to go into this tubule before it sort of drops down to the bottom of this collecting duct where it is then officially called urine. Now, I also just want to make clear here, guys, just my choice of terminology. Now, When I'm referring to these, you know, blood vessels and everything like that, the contents of that I will refer to as blood. Once we are looking at the separation of contents here in the glomerular capillaries, so a lot of these smaller substances moving out, anything that's inside the nephron here, I will refer to as filtrate. Okay, this is our filtrate. 
until we get all the way along and we get to the bottom of our collecting duct. And once we get down here, where basically we have left the Nephron and it is no longer filtrate, we can't reabsorb it, we can't do anything else with it. And it is at this point that it is called urine. So I just wanted to sort of make that, um, make that clear uh, in terms of the, the terminology I will be using. Does that make sense so far, guys? Everyone's okay? <laughs> cool beans. Now, as I sort of said over here, when we're looking at the blood supply to the kidney, I sort of said that we have like the peritubular capillary or the vasorector. So like, which one is it? Is it peritubular or is it vasorector? Well, the truth is we actually have two different types of nephron. We have a cortical nephron and we have a juxtamedullary nephron. Now, us as humans, we, the majority of our nephrons are cortical nephrons. However, around 15% of our nephrons are juxtamedullary. <coughs> now, sorry, excuse me. Um, now, what is the primary difference between these two nephrons here? Uh, ultimately, it comes down to the um, loop of Henle. So, anyone, who can, who can remind me, what does the loop of Henle do? Salt, yes, salt and water, excellent, excellent. So essentially the longer the loop of Henley, the saltier we can make it, which means the more water we can reabsorb. Now, does anyone here have a kitty cat? Yeah. So uh, Logan, what is, <laughs> you have two. So what is cat urine like? <laughs> it's atrocious. Now it is also really potent. Yeah. The reason for that is cats have a really long loop of Henley. They are very, very good at reabsorbing water, which is what that essentially does is it concentrates their urine. That is why like when cats pee, it smells so awful because it's so concentrated. That is the purpose of having a really long loop of Henley. So typically in creatures that exist in very dry and hot climates where, you know, the creatures that survive are the ones that can, you know, go without water the longest. Um, what we notice here is that in their kidney structure, they have very, very long loop of Henleys to be able to reabsorb as much water as possible and get it as uh, concentrated as they can. So, this is where our two different capillaries come into play. So with our cortical nephrons, they are surrounded by peritubular capillaries. Whereas our juxtamedullary nephron here is surrounded by the vasorector. Now that still doesn't really answer the question of what is it that these things are doing? Well, as I've mentioned already, we've got um, all of these substances moving through the nephron and we need to reabsorb them. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But where does it go? Once we reabsorb it, we reabsorb this water and these salts and these glucose and amino acids and all these good stuff. Then what happens to it? Well, it needs to go somewhere. We can't just sort of store it in the kidney for a rainy day. So once we reabsorb these things, they move into either the peritubular capillaries, if it's a cortical nephron, or into the juxtamedullary nephron 
if it's the vasor rector, okay, it's going to move from that nephron into these capillaries and go back into our um, circulation. So it will then uh, go from our peritubular capillary or the vasor rector, you know, through our veins, renal vein into the inferior vena cava and go back into circulation. So in essence being reabsorbed. Okay. Is everyone okay with that so far? Is that, that's making sense? Everyone's all good? Nice, cool bananas. Uh, uh, no, no, no. The peritubular capillaries and the vasorector uh, are the capillaries. Yeah, exactly. Now, this diagram here is a good starting point. This is basically something like representing our nephron here, but this is very, very, very simplistic. So this is a good starting point, but yeah, we need to know it, know it at greater detail than that. Um, so what we're seeing here is four main functions of the, of the nephron. We have our filtration. From there, we are reabsorbing. We also have secretion. So this is us getting rid of things that we wish to excrete. And then we also have, um, well, excretion, which is the process of that releasing that urine. Now, uh, I want to come back to this slide in a moment um, before I sort of explain um, the sort of uh, macula densa and granular cells. But I want to just draw your attention to this drawing of the um, nephron here, because what we are looking at here, this big complicated diagram, this here is the um, uh, the the renal corpuscle essentially. So we have our afferent arteriole. We have our glomerular capillaries here, our efferent arteriole, and this here is our Bowman's capsule. And here we have the beginning of the proximal convoluted tubule. But over here, this is our ascending limb of the loop of Henle, because this is. Uh, a more technically accurate drawing of the um, of the nephron. My advice is to learn this one, just to keep things nice and simple and make sure you understand what's happening, or at least at the very least start with this. But just be aware that in 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 real life, this is closer to what uh, the structure of it would be. Okay, so this is a good summary of what we're going to be going through and looking at today. So again, filtration, reabsorption, secretion, and then at the very end, excretion uh, in the form of urine. So looking at our nephron here. So we have our little Bowman's capsule, which again is separating things based upon their size. What is going to happen is that we are going to move into the proximal convoluted tubule. This is the first squiggle. This is where we see a huge amount of reabsorption. And this is where our body is frantically trying to reabsorb all of these goodies that we have spent a lot of time and energy and effort trying to obtain. Um, like we spent two weeks looking at like, you know, how we get glucose and amino acids and all sorts of other stuff like that. We don't want to just have it go into the urine and just disappear, just vanish. Absolutely not. So 
uh, we need to reabsorb that and put it back into our blood circulation ASAP. From there, we go down our descending loop of Henle, and this is where we are uh, rapidly absorbing water. As we go up our ascending loop of Henle, with, this is where we reabsorb our salts, like sodiums, potassiums, chlorines, all that sort of stuff. From there, we enter our distal convoluted tubules. Now, what is an interesting thing to note here is that the distal convoluted tubule and the collecting duct is the only place in which we kind of have control over the nephron in terms of like hormonal control. So hormonally, we can actually affect the function of the distal convoluted tubule and the collecting duct. We cannot do that with the proximal convoluted tubule and the loop of Henle. Uh, but again, we're going to be talking about that, um, uh, that hormonal control a lot more next week. It's going to be a very, very large factor that we're going to talk about next week. Now, what we see here in this distal convoluted tubule, again, is um, absorption of more salt, um, the amount of which would be controlled by a hormone called aldosterone uh, and calcium. And we can also um, either release or secrete um, hydrogens or potassiums, depending on what our blood pH is. So this is a good way that our body controls our acid-base balance. Then we're going to soldier on into the collecting duct, where again, this is our last chance reabsorption of water and salts. And this will occur until we reach the bottom of the collecting duct, which anything that has not been absorbed by that point it's a bit of a too bad, so sad. And it's going to go down the collecting duct and again into our um, sort of major calyx down into our renal pelvis here and draining through and down our ureter into the, uh, into the bladder for storage. Okie dokie. Now... The big thing here with our um, with our glomerulus and with our nephron here, it is super important because on average we are um, we produce about one to two liters of urine per day. Now, look again, that changes enormously depending on um, your physical activity, your current health, how much water you've drank, what are you doing, are you sweating a lot? All of that sort of stuff. But if I was to say, look, boom, your body no longer has the ability to reabsorb water, you would be peeing about 180 liters a day, which is, well, it's kind of ridiculous. I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't got time for that. That's insane. Um, so that just shows the effectiveness of um, our kidneys being able to filter and reabsorb. Again, if we come back to thinking about our, our nephrons and our kidneys being like a pool filter, can you imagine running a pool filter, but instead of the water in your pool going through the filter, being cleaned, and then just going back into the pool, it went from the pool through the pool filter and then out a hose and just, I don't know, into the neighbor's garden. <laughs> like you, you wouldn't have much water in the pool after a little bit. It'd just be completely drained. The same thing is with our body. It needs to be able to recycle these... Um, uh, the, the water and other nutrients, because otherwise we're just going to be wasting it. 
Now, these next two slides look super duper duper complicated and look super duper tricky, but it's actually not that bad. So guys, we remember um, bulk flow. We remember the capillaries and all that sort of stuff, our hydrostatic pressure and colloid osmotic pressure and how all of that worked with the movement of fluid, the capillary and the interstitial space. Because guess what? If you remembered all that, you're in for a treat because this is almost copy paste the exact same. Because what this is essentially showing, um, and again, just to clarify, what we're looking at here is a zoom in of here, of our um, Bowman's capsule and our glomerular capillaries. So what is happening here is that the blood is moving down our afferent arteriole and moving into our glomerular capillaries here. Now, in the same way that we were looking at capillaries with our bulk flow, we come across many of the same problems in our glomerulus and the Bowman's capsule. We need to have a certain amount of like blood pressure and hydrostatic pressure to push out, to move that fluid from the capillary through uh, into the Bowman's capsule. At the same time, there is going to be a um, colloid osmotic pressure that's going to want to drag that fluid and those substances back into the capillary. This is why blood pressure is important. Um, and this is one of the dangers of having very, very low blood pressure. Um, so if you have an incredibly low blood pressure, what can actually happen is that you are unable to generate enough of a pressure to overcome this colloid osmotic pressure and you can't push your, your blood through this um, uh, glomerular capillary, which means you're not getting adequate filtration, which is obviously, you know, harmful. Now, the problem, uh, as I just said, like, you know, if you've got too low blood pressure, that can really cause issues. Shoe on the other foot, if you have very high blood pressure, that is equally as harmful. So you'll recall, um, you know, the way I sort of explained this a few weeks ago was to talk about a coffee filter. Okay, you take your coffee filter and your coffee, you put the water in and it filters it through. Lovely. Now, instead of taking a kettle and gently pouring the water, let's say I get a pressure washer and just blast it. Okay, what's going to happen there is that the, the pressure is going to be way too high and it's just going to shred it to pieces. Same thing happens here. If you have chronic hypertension, like super high um, blood pressure, what can happen there is that high blood pressure can actually cause damage to these capillaries and things that shouldn't be able to move through because they're too big will be able to pass through because there are sort of big holes now that have been caused by the damage to these capillaries. Now, as I said before, there is a lot of detail here. Like, you know, we've got the glomerular blood hydrostatic pressure and capsular hydrostatic pressure and net filtration pressure and blah, 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 blah. I super don't care about almost all of this. All I want you to be aware of is there is a certain amount of uh, pressure that is required to essentially filter the blood, okay? It's like if you're in space and you try to pour water into a, a coffee filter, nothing's really gonna happen. You need that force to push it through. Um, at the same time, there is also an osmotic force that's dragging that fluid back in. We need to overpower that force. That's it. That's all I expect you to know here, because if it pushes through this capillary, it's going to go into the nephron. It's going to go into the proximal convoluted tubule and away it goes. 
If it doesn't push through, it's gonna go back down our efferent arteriole and just go back into our circulation. All right, guys, what we might do is before I talk about the like juxtaglomerular apparatus and all that sort of stuff, um, let's take a quick 10 minute breather, stand up, stretch your legs, grab a coffee, do what you gotta do. And we shall continue on with our journey of the kidney. 